The writing is on the wall. Are you familiar with that phrase? The writing is on the wall. When someone says the writing is on the wall, it means there is an obvious sign or warning that something bad or unpleasant is going to happen. Impending doom or misfortune or failure is coming. Well, today we're going to look at the story from which that saying originated. You can make your way over to Daniel chapter 5, the book of Daniel chapter 5. And as you're making your way there, a fool. A fool in the Bible, it doesn't refer to someone who's simply silly or stupid. A fool is someone who lacks wisdom and good judgment, someone who is headstrong, self-willed, prideful, arrogantly unperceptive. They follow their own course and they ignore and they even mock God. That is how a fool is described in the Bible. The fool is always contrasted with the wise, always aligned with the wicked, and always opposed to the righteous. In the Bible, being called a fool is a terrible indictment to have made about you. A fool is the anti of what we want to be. The book of Proverbs contains many proverbs that contrast the wise and the fool. Here's a sampling which gives us a preview of what we will see in the story today. In Proverbs 1.7, says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 10.21, The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of sense. Proverbs 14, 16. The wise fear the Lord and shun evil, but a fool is hot-headed and yet feels secure. In Proverbs 3, 35. The wise inherit honor, but fools get only shame. Well, just... uh, a bit of review about how we've gotten to where we are in this story. In Daniel chapter 4, which we looked at last time, we read about a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had about a great world tree that provided protection and nourishment for the whole world, which then was cut down and put in shackles for seven years. Nebuchadnezzar was terrified by the dream, and he asked Daniel to interpret it for him. And Daniel explained that the great tree in the dream represented Nebuchadnezzar himself. But because Nebuchadnezzar had grown arrogant and didn't acknowledge that the Lord is the one who had given him everything he had, the Lord was going to take it all away from him. Nebuchadnezzar would be bound by a severe mental illness in which he would think he was an animal and he would live outside in the wilds eating grass like cattle. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't pay attention to the warning that he had been given in that dream. So about a year later, one day while he was congratulating himself for the grandeur and the beauty of Babylon, the Lord's judgment fell upon him suddenly, and the dream was fulfilled in all of his horror. Nebuchadnezzar lost everything as this mental illness descended upon him. He lived separated from people, thinking himself an animal until he lifted his eyes, it says, to heaven and acknowledged that the Lord was the Most High, who is sovereign over all things, the one who gives as he pleases. 
And then the Lord restored to Nebuchadnezzar all that he had before. The intriguing thing about Daniel 4, apart from the story itself, is that the entire chapter is a personal letter from Nebuchadnezzar himself addressed to the whole world at large. Open letters have become a thing in our day, which are letters that people write and then publish so that the public can read them. Well, Daniel chapter 4 is an open letter from King Nebuchadnezzar to the world. In this letter, he recounts the events that happened to him and how the Lord changed his life through those events. We're left at the end of the letter, really, with the impression that Nebuchadnezzar has come to genuine faith in the God of Daniel. Well, following the death of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire began to deteriorate, and the newfound faith in God that Nebuchadnezzar appears to have embraced in his latter years was not shared by his successors to the throne. Over the course of the next 20 years, the leadership of Babylon was in an almost continual state of upheaval and turmoil. Nebuchadnezzar was first succeeded by his son. He was assassinated two years later by his own brother-in-law and general of the army, who reigned then for four years and was then succeeded by his son, who was assassinated just nine months after taking the throne by one of his uncles, Nabonidus, who then took the throne from him. Nabonidus reigned for the next 17 years until the collapse of Babylon. Well, Nabonidus, he was not that interested in being king over Babylon itself, so he spent the majority of his time away from the capital city of Babylon, pursuing various other military and religious ventures. And during the last 10 years of his reign, he turned the administration of Babylon over to his son, Belshazzar, who was considered a co-regent or co-ruler with him, which explains the title of king that is used for Belshazzar in Daniel 5, even though he was not really the king. His father was really the king. Well, let's begin in Daniel 5, verse 1. It says, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. Here's the situation. The Medes and the Persians have invaded Babylon and defeated their army, and the Babylonians have now retreated back into the capital city of Babylon, where they have fortified themselves against a siege by the Medo-Persian army. The Babylonians, led by Belshazzar, are feeling very secure and confident, believing they can easily repel and outlast any siege that the Medes and the Persians bring against them. From their point of view, safely behind the defenses of the mighty city of Babylon, they feel the Medo-Persian army is little more than a temporary inconvenience. The city of Babylon was one of the most fortified cities in the ancient world. The city was surrounded by a wall which was as much as 80 feet thick, which we talked about last time. There was enough food and supplies supposedly stockpiled, stockpiled inside of the city to feed them for several years. And the Euphrates River flowed right through the middle of the city, so the water supply was not a concern. To flaunt just how confident 
he is in the defenses of the city of Babylon against this invading army of the Medes and the Persians, Belshazzar is throwing a party. And this isn't your typical block party. It says that he has a thousand of his nobles as guests, and the food and the drink are flowing like it is no tomorrow. Historical accounts tell us that not only is he having a huge party at the royal courts, but the whole city is having a party. So it is a holiday in Babylon. And in verse 2, it says, while, while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. This is Nebuchadnezzar, his father, here. And uh, translating the Hebrew word here as father has created some confusion for modern readers because this same word in Hebrew is used to refer to a father, grandfather, great-grandfather, forefather, ancestor. It's the same word used for all of those particular things. So when reference is made to Nebuchadnezzar as Belshazzar's father, we need to remember that actually Nebuchadnezzar was Belshazzar's grandfather. Well, as some, at some point during this huge party, Belshazzar gives an order to bring into his banquet hall the sacred goblets that had been taken from the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem by his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, when he invaded Judah some 50 years earlier. These sacred cups had been kept as trophies of war by Nebuchadnezzar. Well, Belshazzar now takes these sacred temple cups and he passes them around to his guests to drink wine from and to offer toasts and praises to their pagan gods. Belshazzar is intentionally and belligerently mocking and ridiculing the Lord through these actions. He's deliberately desecrating the sacred things used in the worship of the Lord. He's making fun of the Lord in front of all of his guests. He's mocking God. Well, why is he doing this? I mean, why does he choose to mock the Lord like this? Is he showing that his grandfather may have bent his knee to the Jewish God, but he has no fear of their God? Or of this army of the Medes and the Persians that is camped just outside the city walls? Babylon and her gods will prevail. We're not sure. Whatever his reason, openly mocking the Lord, though, is a very bad idea as he is going to discover, because it says, Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. Here's a painting by Rembrandt depicting the scene described here. Uh, I like his big eyes bugged out, freaking out as he's looking at the writing. I think Rembrandt captures uh, 
the emotion and the terror of the scene well in his painting. So what suddenly <clears throat> is this wonderful party going on? It suddenly comes to a full stop. The music stops, the dancing stops, the eating and drinking stop, the laughter stops, and this deathly silence descends on the room. It says his face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The appearance of this mysterious handwriting on the wall was frightening enough, but added to that was the disturbing mystery of what the words of the, on the wall meant. So he calls in all of his various experts to interpret the writing for him, but they look at the writing and they have no idea what it means. And this only serves to freak him out more. He's delirious with fear. And then in verse 10, it says, The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, really your grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. It talks about the queen here, and this is actually the queen mother. This is the mother of Belshazzar, who is the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. She hears this commotion going on, and she comes in to find out what's happening. Her son, Belshazzar, is losing it as this spectacle just gets bigger and bigger with each passing moment. And she tells her son about a man that worked for his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, who was able to solve difficult problems like this. His name is Daniel. Bring him in. I'm sure he can tell you what the writing means. Daniel is in his 80s now. It appears that when Nebuchadnezzar died, Daniel likely retired from full-time service in the royal court. So they're going to bring Daniel out of retirement. I wonder, does Belshazzar realize that Daniel worships the God that he has been mocking. And we can almost hear the Twilight Zone music beginning to play. 
And she's like, all these connections are starting to get really weird. On verse 13, it says, So Daniel was brought before the king. And the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise man and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now, I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you'll be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. He offers Daniel great reward if he's able to interpret this writing on the wall and promises to make him the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Belshazzar's father is the highest ruler. Belshazzar is number two in more ways than one at this point. And Daniel will be number three as the most powerful people in the kingdom. Well, this offer from Belshazzar, it must have been laughable to Daniel. I mean, who has worked for Belshazzar's grandfather, the great King Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar is a pretender. He's a poser compared to the real King Nebuchadnezzar who had done all of the great things in the past. The sorry state of the kingdom of Babylon at this point in history is not something that an old man like Daniel is going to be interested in anyway. The Medo-Persian army is camped outside the city walls at this very moment. Babylon is on the verge of being swallowed by their enemy and be no more. Besides all of that, Daniel has demonstrated again and again throughout his life that he is not a person who can be bought off in any way at all. Daniel is a servant of the Lord first and foremost, and he's going to read and explain this writing on the wall for the king because that's what the Lord wants Daniel to do. No amount of reward can sway Daniel from doing the Lord's will. Says, then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself <laughs> and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. And now Daniel is going to give Belshazzar a little history lesson and remind him of some things he should not have forgotten. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father, grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, 
his grandson, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Belshazzar should have committed his heart and his memory to the letter that his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had written to the world about these things, which is Daniel chapter 4, which is what we looked at last time. But instead of learning from his grandfather's mistakes, Belshazzar has walked in the same ways of arrogance and pride and done even worse by going so far as to deliberately mock the Most High, desecrating the holy things from the temple of the Lord. It's as if Belshazzar is daring God to judge him, and God is now calling his bluff. So in 24, Therefore he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Many, many tekel parson. Here is what these words mean. Many. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Many means numbered. Tekel means weighed. Parson means divided. So together, the words would literally have read numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. The interpretation of the writing is this, though. Daniel says many means God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. In other words, you are done. You're finished. Tekel. You've been weighed on the scale and found wanting. In other words, you don't measure up, Belshazzar. You have grossly overestimated your own importance and power. You have been evaluated by God and found to be deficient, inadequate. Paris, which is the singular form of the word parson, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. In other words, the mighty... Babylonian empire is no more. It will be broken up or divided. Babylon will be the spoils of war for the Medes and the Persians. They are going to pick through what remains of you and take what they want. Taken together, this is one of the most thorough and devastating dismissals in history. Then at Belshazzar's command... Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. <laughs> to his credit, he, he kept his word to Daniel, and he gives him everything they promised he would give him. <laughs> but this has got to be the emptiest promotion a person has ever received. You're now the highest... You're now the third highest ruler of a kingdom that is moments away from being no more. 
It's as if Belshazzar remains clueless to the very end about his own epic failure as a leader. Finally, it says that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. And so the world moves on without Belshazzar. That very night, the Medo-Persian army pours into the city of Babylon. Unknown to the people inside the city of Babylon, who are just having a big party at the time, the Medo-Persian army had diverted the water of the Euphrates River upstream of the city, allowing their army to sneak into the city through the gates that were normally inaccessible because of the river water. Those gates were normally heavily guarded by the Babylonians, but that night no one's guarding them. They're all partying. And so the enemy came into the city, and before the Babylonians know what is happening, they find themselves defeated. The city is easily taken. In closing, Belshazzar's story provides a literal illustration of Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. There's a There's a stark contrast between these two people, Belshazzar and Daniel. Belshazzar is a person who lives for the moment, who throws caution to the wind, who fails to recognize the importance of the moment that he's living in, who shows off to his peers, who mocks God and and profanes the holy, who is what the Bible describes as a fool. He's like many people in our own day who are ignoring the importance of the moment they're living in, choosing to mock God and live for their own hedonistic desires instead, not realizing that the bill is coming due, the writing is on the wall, judgment is coming. Daniel, in contrast, is a person who has spent his life devoted to the Lord, willing to forego the pleasures of the moment for the promises of God in the future, who has lived a humble, respectful, honorable life both before God and people. What kind of people do we want to be? Which of these two peoples do we want to walk in the path of? Well, the answer is obvious, isn't it? The loud and the showy ones seem to get most of the attention in this world, though. But it is the faithfully godly ones who the Lord is pleased with. Follow Jesus rather than the fools that populate our world. Follow Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we we thank you for... This story of Belshazzar and the reminder that it gives us 
of the kind of life that, that we want to pursue. To not live the life of a fool, but to live a life that follows Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your good hand in our life. I ask that you would bless each one here today. And, and Lord, that today we would each freshly make a renewed commitment to follow you rather than the foolishness of the stuff around us. In Jesus' name, amen.